From WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University, I'm Byron Williams, and this is The Public Morality. Out of the tree of life, I just picked Today, on The Public Morality, we honor Francis Albert Sinatra, a.k.a. the chairman of the board. 21 years after his passing, Sinatra still remains relevant to so many. Johnny Costa returns to discuss old blue eyes that's coming up on the public morality. Best is yet to come, and babe, won't that be fine? You think you've seen the sun, but you ain't seen it shine. Wait till the warm-up's underway Wait till our lips have met And wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet Welcome to the Public Morality. Summer wind came blowing in from across the sea. It lingered there to touch your hair and walk with me. All summer long, we sang a song and then we strolled that golden sand two sweethearts and the summer wind several years ago when my book 1963 the year of hope and hostility was published a good friend sent me a photo of frank sinatra getting out of a helicopter holding what was most likely a glass of jack daniels to keep me humble The caption read, You may be cool, but you're not Frank Sinatra stepping out of a helicopter holding a glass of whiskey cool. The caption was right. I was not that cool, nor anyone else, past or present. Long before celebrities went by a single name, Sting, Madonna, Cher, Prince, there was Sinatra. So as we on the public morality commemorate the anniversary of the death of Frank Sinatra more than two decades ago, I'm joined once more by my good friend, Johnny Costa. I usually reserve uh, Johnny for the annual baseball broadcast, but we brought him out of the bullpen to talk about Sinatra. Johnny Costa, welcome back to The Public Morality. Byron, you kidding me? And if, if, I'm not, if you and I aren't talking about baseball, what else would we rather be talking about than the incomparable Francis Albert Sinatra? Absolutely, my friend. Uh, And on that note, I want to start. I was at the Cigar Lounge the other day, and I told someone I was going to be doing a show on Frank Sinatra. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You were at a Cigar Lounge the other day. I know. That's a shocker, right? That That is really hard to believe. But continue, my friend. (laughs) You surprised me again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, this young man asked me, why was Frank Sinatra relevant? 
And I'm going to pass that question on to you and have you answer. Yeah, and we've talked about that uh, just uh, casually, right? I, I think how does uh, his sound, what he represented, how does he transcend one generation to the next? I think it's different for different people. I know for me it was something that uh, that was passed along from one generation to the next. There was such an appreciation of uh, the uh, the generation before us uh, when he came onto the scene, those early memories, what the music meant at the time that he was producing it all through, you know, certainly uh, the World War II era, the 50s into the 60s. And, and I, I think really the bottom line is that it transcends time and taste and generation gaps because you said it best once a long time ago, Byron, when you said that he always has something for everyone for every moment. Happy, sad, celebratory, you name it, lonely. There's always something about Sinatra, and I think it represents that what he delivered, man, it came from the heart. You could feel the sincerity and how real it was, and nothing, nothing resonates like sincerity. Well, you know, it's funny that you would say that because, like you, I, 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 the generation before me listened to Sinatra, and it was passed on that way. But in a strange way, Johnny, when it really clicked, you know how you you become 16, 17, and, you know, when you're a teenager, you, you start liking your music, your generation. I don't I can't remember the artist now, but there was an artist who had a line in a song, and the song said, he puts on Sinatra and starts to cry, on and on. Remember that song? Uh, a little bit. But anyway, uh, I he's... Couldn't I couldn't tell you who, who nor, performed that, but a little bit. Nor can I. And that song, that lyric, when I heard it, I go, I, let me start, I got to go back and start listening to Sinatra stuff. I started listening to Frank when I was about 18, really started listening to it because I liked it because uh, the, my, my parents liked it. But when it, when, I, it was when I owned it, when I found my own reason to like it, that's when it sort of changed for me. Hey, because there was always room for that. And like most of us, we all have uh, uh, maybe a wide interest in musical. It depends what mood I'm in. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I'll listen to classical. Sometimes I'll listen to Frank. Sometimes I'll listen to classic, classic rock and everything in between, right? And, and, you know, we can appreciate different kinds of music and sounds. But you know what, man, there's uh, all I'm saying is that there's always room for Sinatra in a way that when you look at many great contemporary artists or artists from the recent past and you ask yourself, are, are they going to still be listening to this in 100 years? Right. Is it right. going to translate? And if anybody's sound would translate, it's going to be Frank's. Well, you know, you just made you made a point earlier when when you talked about him, you know, uh, him having a song for every mood. 
and you, you talked about how authentic he was. It, it gives you the feeling, I know this may sound nonsensical to people who are listening who, who don't appreciate Sinatra, but it gave me the feeling that I knew Frank. I know that sounds crazy, but I never felt like I knew Prince. I never felt like I knew James Brown or, or <laughs> Marvin Gaye, but I, I knew Sinatra. That makes sense. And, and, and I think different artists touch us in different ways, but you're right. He had that innate ability to personalize the music. It was, it was like, even if you didn't feel like you knew him, you felt like he was singing to you. Right. His story was your story. And, and we all know, um, if, if you ever read a book about him or followed his career, you know, he was very selective as to what he recorded um, and to how it would be recorded and arranged. And he had just that ability to pick the right song at the right moment and deliver it in a right way. And when you put all of that together, you know, you get that... Uh, that legendary sound and that impact, man. It's, it's like he's singing to me, whether I'm in a, a dark place or whether I'm happy, celebrating, looking forward to something. There's always a place that touches you. I remember one of, uh, and I had this on vinyl when, you know, you and I, when all we had was on vinyl. Right, at one point, right. right. You and I remember when 8-Track was cutting edge, so that's another story. Go ahead. 8-Track <laughs> where you had to fold up the matchbook and stick it into yeah, the slot right. to keep it on track. That's right. Hey, Sinatra is Sinatra. It was an assortment of many of his, uh, of his songs at the time. One of my favorite Sinatra albums. And I used to, before I, I'd go to work on Swing Shift, I would dance with uh, our baby daughter. Before I would go to work, i I I'd queue up uh, the LP, and we would dance to I Got You Under My Skin mm -hmm. and two or three of the songs, and that would be my little quiet time with her before I'd shove off for work. And every time I hear one of those songs, it takes me back to that moment. So personalizing it, but then putting this indelible mark on a song where it stays with you and could conjure up and remind you of the hope that you gathered from dark times and what got you through that. And then also to think back with great love and affection for those tender moments where it, it kind of puts you back into that moment, even for, even for a minute or two. It's, it's great stuff. You know, one of the things that really I think is really remarkable about Sinatra, um, even before you and I were born, he was known as the voice. I mean, he he, he had he was he was the precursor to Elvis in terms of his popularity, mm -hmm. and then he had the accident with his voice, and he temporarily lost his voice, and then he he adopted this new style that he depended less on his voice and more on his timing, and it got more into telling us a three minute and twenty six second story that we could personalize. And he didn't do that when he was with Tommy, Joris, Tommy Dorsey and Harry James. But when he became Frank Sinatra in the 50s, he did that. And that's when I think he just took off. Yeah, I, 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 yeah he, it was what, early 50s, 52, 53, when he signed with Capitol. And he had those, 
that that long stream of 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 those theme albums mm-hmm. and when he brought these tremendous musicians conductors arrangers writers into the studio with his own spin you know uh you, you know you, you look at the stuff he did with Nelson Riddle mm-hmm. and how it transcended it, it began to transcend the sound from you know the big band experience that he had with Dorsey and Harry James and he put his own spin on it and he just brought that swing to life in a different way where you're right it, it was it was as much about the selection and the presentation and the mix and arrangements that really uh, th- that really had such a huge impact, and then for him to make that over again later in life, when he uh, when he started recording on his own label with Reprise, how he took that to an entirely different level and continued to tap in to a sound that people could still identify with and love. Well, you, you know, the other thing, you know, during that time period you're talking about, I mean, this, this is my my personal opinion, but I would say that in terms of a voice during that, that time period, I would say Tony Bennett, Mel Terme, Nat King Cole, are all individuals and, and others who had a better voice, more range, but no one could put you in the moment like Sinatra. No, and and it was all in the I think the selection and the delivery, because there were plenty of guys and, and Sinatra, um, I think uh, he acknowledged uh, other artists like Tony Bennett, mm-hmm. um, even uh, Vic Damone, Jerry Vale, who he referred to as having some of the best pipes in the business, right? Mm-hmm. And he could acknowledge those crooners, those singers that came out of his era, but Frank took it to an entirely different level, which reminds us that the artistry of it, you can be a great technical singer, but do you bring the passion and can you convey the feeling of what that piece is all about, and I think you're right. That was the big difference. Well, you know, I, I was just, you know, I was thinking about some of the albums you, you, you talked about. I mean, you've you've got Sinatra uh, in the wee small hours, so you know he's gonna touch some some nerves there. Then you've got Sinatra sings only for the lonely. Then I know one of your favorites, Come Fly with Me. You know, and Sinatra sings for lovers. We have these themes, and all the themes that, that we deal with in life, and Sinatra's putting them out. And, and putting him out there for us in these three-minute sound bites. Yep. I mean, he would, the emotion would be bared for everybody to see. He could either punch you in the mouth with reality, right? Or he could be your best friend, and you can lean on him when you're thinking about, I don't know, whether it's a lost love or difficulties in a relationship and you know what you tune in to drinking again or angel eyes and come on i mean how can you not have that be uh kind of the soundtrack for that moment right right it, 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 it's it's what it's what helps us connect with ourselves through that music, that sound, that emotion. 
we, which we, may, reminds you, you know what, man, I, I'm not alone because right. this guy's story is my story, and the way that he bears it and puts it out there on Front Street can't help but offer some kind of uh, comfort. Well, you know, the other piece uh, about um, Sinatra, and I would be remiss if I didn't bring it up with you, and this is part of my. This is also part of my answer to the young man. My first part of my answer was exactly verbatim for what you gave uh, us today. But my other part of my answer was that Frank Sinatra was really one of the first celebrities willing to put his star power on the line. Uh, I think about his relationship with Sammy Davis Jr. and Count Basie and how he really despised discrimination and racism. He was willing to put himself on the line you know, for that in a way that a lot of celebrities weren't willing to do at that time. Yes, certainly. And even going back from what I've read, I mean, obviously none of us were there, but from what we've read from from people who, who lived that experience, how he stood up when even hotels and, uh, and venues wouldn't allow uh, uh, performers of color to either stay at the hotel or to uh, use certain facilities, or at even the into the front, even even the into show. the front of the hotel, they had to go around the back. And yeah, work. he <laughs> would ch- challenge that at a time when, God knows, not a popular thing for a white person in the U.S. to be challenging. Right. That would there there was nothing mainstream about that. There was a struggle going on. There was a fight going on for our our collective national consciousness and morality. And you look back, and before it was something that uh, was, uh, you know, it, it seems demeaning to call it fashionable or in vogue, but before it was something that most people would do, especially when it could jeopardize their career, he didn't care. And, and let's add so, to that, let's add to that, Johnny, that he did it, after you know he his career had tanked at one time, and so he knew what it's like to have your career tanked, not have your phone calls returned. And after he rose again, he was still willing to risk it, having that experience in his background. A- absolutely, when he knew the fall from grace could be really fast. But you know what? He was at the same time a working class kind of simple kid who grew up tough in New Jersey and you don't take that out of somebody no matter where they go in life. Uh, That's our fabric. That's how we're wired. That's where he came from and that's what what he delivered when it mattered most. Mm -hmm. And it's it's also a story when you talk about uh, a story we can relate to I mean, part of Sinatra's appeal for me is that he is relatable. This is a guy from Hoboken, New Jersey. This is a guy who who made it to the high of heights, who had, who had fallen, who got back up again. I mean, there's a common element to Sinatra that also makes him appealing. Yeah, and and and, and in a way, it it gives you it gives you hope. Uh, I was watching i don't think it was a recent documentary but i was re-watching something i had seen and there's one one uh particular moment where the narrator says that you have to believe 
that when Sinatra was coming up from the ground up and he's looking out across the Hudson at the at uh, the New York skyline, and to think that one of his signature songs, New York, New York, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. And when that was one of his go-to songs late in his career, right? And uh, imagine his emotions growing up the way he did from nothing, looking across at that uh, at that uh, skyline of lower Manhattan and all that it represented and saying to yourself, you know what, could I conquer that? Could I be uh, at the top of the heap in New York? And, and then for him to sing that the way he did at Madison Square Garden mm-hmm. um, with, the, uh, with the entertainment world at his feet, you know what, man, Th- that had to have been, we, we, can, all, we can all relate and and see hope in that story, right? And 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 I know not to delve into baseball, but how many times did Mario Rivera get the third out in Yankee Stadium to be regaled by New York, New York? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, to this day, every time the Yankees win, that's what's queued up. Frank is still alive in the heart, certainly of Yankee fans, my friend. <laughs> well, <laughs> you, well, you know, and, and to, but to that point, another interesting aspect about Sinatra, when you think about some of his signature songs, I mean, he wasn't the first to sing Make It One For My Baby, One More For The Road. He wasn't the first to sing uh, New York, New York. That, that was Eliza Minnelli's song from a movie. And, but, 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 the, but Sinatra had this ability to put his indelible stamp on it and make it his, whether it was a song that, that was written for him or not. Oh, no, no question about it. And I think it gets back to how important it was for him to have that uh, control and autonomy because, again, he was very careful um, and very selective on what he chose to develop or to cover. Um, I mean, in my personal opinion, I don't think he was, uh, he was always uh, right on. I, I know in, in, in the 60s when he started to cover some Beatles numbers and whatnot, eh, I didn't care so much for that. I thought there was a little bit more of a disconnect there personally, but uh, but I get it. You know, no one's going to bat a thousand, at least from my perspective. Uh, all good stuff, but uh, yeah, he definitely had an ability to to pick a song that he could, uh, let's say, take to the next level. Right, right. No, no. There's um, I I, I recall um, watching a Sinatra documentary. And there he is with the remember the fifth dimension. He's with the fifth dimension. He's got a Nehru jacket on and puka shells. And I'm like, come on, Frank, don't do that. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, don't. yeah. And and it's like, dude, lose the bangs. Don't comb the hair. Don't do the forward comb over thing. Right. You know what? I I I want Frank. I want him to be himself. But hey. You know, aren't we all entitled to a little midlife crisis? What do you think, no, a- Absolutely. And, but, but, <laughs> but when he has the famous, after he had retired, and he has the famous Madison Square Garden comeback that, that Howard Cosell introduces him, it's, it's, it's the tuxedo, it, it's the, even though you're in Madison Square Garden, it's an intimate setting, and he's Francis Albert Sinatra once again. That that and and that is Sinatra. But you know what? Like uh, like all of us, there's not a single thing that defines who we are. We all have a little bit of something. 
someone like Sinatra, he got to put his uh, out there on center stage. And uh, granted, it may not be for everybody, but uh, uh, we all have our moments like that. It's just that millions of people don't witness it, well, and, <laughs> thankfully, by the way. And, 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 and <laughs> you don't have millions of people, and, I would, and John F. Kennedy's part of this list, you don't have millions of people where women want him and men want to be him simultaneously. I mean, there you go. <laughs> or, or, or like what we've joked about and said, hey, when you're in those predicaments in life, what would Frank do? Right, right. right. <laughs> Which always wasn't the best judgment, apparently. That, that's true. That, that's true. Hey, but 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 that was kind of that was kind of, I guess, the appeal to Sinatra, is he was this bigger than life singer and entertainer, and we haven't talk, even talked about his, uh, you know, a uh, pretty stellar acting career, really. Well, I was going to get to that. We, in, in fact, I just watched, um, uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday, I just watched uh, The Manchurian Candidate Sunday, in fact. Yeah, you, you know, I, I, maybe one of the, the best examples of his work. But through all of his, yeah, you know what? We all have our moments and discretions, things that we probably do differently, personality traits that uh, we would acknowledge could probably be improved. And for him, sometimes that led to getting into fights and punching reporters and right. and, uh, and and maybe not the, uh, the best discretion in relationships at any given time. But isn't that all of us potentially – Right. It, it, it's it, it wasn't this uh, it, it wasn't uh, a personality that uh, that shaded itself from reality. It's it's who he was. And he again, he put it out there for everybody to see. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not digressing your trust, man, but I'm making a, a, a Byron Williams point the way the way that I do. But I was just explaining to someone the other day when I was growing up. Um, the difference between DC Comics and Marvel Comics. And I said the difference between the two is Marvel Comics, the superhero was flawed. The DC Comics, they were all perfect, so they weren't interesting. It, it, it is the, it's the person that lets you see his or her foibles that makes them interesting, and that makes Sinatra even more interesting. Yeah, it, it, interesting because he was real, and relatable. Right. This guy's got flaws. I got flaws. I can relate to that. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And here's the other thing. Most of the time, he didn't care what you thought. And, and, and couldn't we use, uh, couldn't at times we all use a little bit of that, uh, of that rougher exterior to say, look, I'm going to be true to myself. I am going to respect myself. And at times, I really don't care what your opinion is. If you're just joining us, I'm uh, joined one more time with my good friend, uh, Johnny Costa, and we are talking about the life and legacy of one Mr. Frank Sinatra, whose anniversary just uh, passed on his, his passing of his death or more than two, two decades ago now. Um, Johnny, you, I mean, we were talking off uh, off the air before. You said you had a couple stories about his passing. I just wanted to share those. I did. You know what? I I have a a, a couple of, of of for me great memories, and one um, uh, really illustrates what we talked about earlier on how 
Sinatra, his popularity, the way he connected with people transcended generations. Um, so I was working midnight shift, and, and you know, but for the people who don't, I'm a retired police sergeant here in the Bay Area in California, and I was working midnight shift uh, the night that he, uh, that he passed away. So at one point, I was doing a walkthrough at one of our dance clubs, and there were probably close to a thousand people in there. It was packed, and they're they're uh, pumping out the house music and the techno stuff of the time. I, I, did I get that right? Is it techno? I, I don't know. I don't know. You're talking to the wrong guy, but I'm gonna go with it. Te- exactly. But it, it, let's just say it wasn't anything that Byron and I would probably be listening to. Anyway, they're having a great time. That's all that matters, and the place is packed. So the DJ uh, is is a friend of mine. I know the guy. I'd always go up and check with him. And, you know, I'd just stroll up and I'd say between sets, hey, man, how's it going? How you doing? And and, uh, uh, he hadn't heard the news. So you got this dance floor packed with 20-something-year-olds, right? The bar is filled. And I mentioned to him, I go, hey, listen, man, you know, Sinatra passed away. And I know he was a big fan. You know, probably, you know, in his early 30s. Uh, average age in the club, like what you'd expect. You know, I don't know, 24 to 26, something right. like that. Well, a, a generation well past his peak, put it that way. And uh, uh, in the middle of his set, the DJ went uh, over the uh, – over the uh, the sound system, and he said, uh, hey, ladies and gentlemen, I just found out that uh, Frank Sinatra passed away. And you know what shocked me was the gasp that came from that group of young people. It was, it was a gasp, like what you'd expect if, you know, and I'm not comparing the two, of course, but like if, if you... Uh, were to announce the uh, the death of a political figure or even an assassination, it was like it shocked me that there would be the total gasp. And what followed for a second was this quiet because the people noise in the room just stopped, Byron. It was a gasp and then quiet, other than the techno music still bumping, right? <laughs> and then the DJ feverishly working on his system, and he immediately queued up the anthem my way. And everybody there, it looked like everybody there, was swaying back and forth, arms over each other, some people crying. I was in tears, which is really embarrassing when you're in full uniform, but I didn't care. <laughs> and we all sang my way together, and then he returned to the usual set and that that it blew me away it it absolutely blew me away and and then the the way the night ended i was uh now it's fast forward to four or five in the morning and in front of one of the restaurants you know how they have a chalkboard Mm -hmm. yeah with menu and special items that they'll put out in front and this was a sports bar so they closed hours ago and somebody had written on the chalkboard and somewhere I took a picture of it. I still have it somewhere. And somebody just scrawled on the chalkboard with a, 
and and all they wrote was this. They wrote Frank Sinatra, and then right below it, he was all that. Mm. Kind of the vernacular of the day. Sinatra, he was all that. Right, and I just thought that those two moments on the the night that he passed away will always stand out in my mind. You, you know, the 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 tangential Sinatra story that always stands out in my mind was when I was moving to North Carolina from the Bay Area, and I was canceling mm-hmm. I was canceling um, my AT and T um, cable service and everything because I was moving here. And so I, I get the guy on the phone, um, and he asked for my, my special number, and I can't remember that thing. And then he asked, um, well, what's your secret? I'll ask you your secret question. So he says, who's your favorite singer? And I said, Sinatra. And he says, that's, that's incorrect. That's not right. And so I was, like, stunned. I'm like, who else could I have listed other than, because I said, and I was going on, and we're going back and forth. And I said, anyone who knows me knows that Frank Sinatra is, is my favorite singer. He goes, ah, you didn't say Frank. I was just, I was floored. <laughs> I was floored. Uh, I love that. That is, uh, you never told me that story. That was a classic, but. Uh, I'll, I'll give you, here's a pop quiz, because this is how he has influenced us. Uh, what song did we sing together at the Occidental Cigar Lounge on Pine Street in San Francisco? The summer wind came rolling in <laughs> from across the sea. Oh, well, come on, man. Hey, I, I'm glad we're enjoying ourselves. I hope somebody is uh, is getting a little smile on their face listening to the story. But nowhere has Angel Eye or Angel Eyes has Summer Wind been performed in a duet, starting in the lounge, starting in the lounge at the Occidental Cigar Lounge, and then continued as we walked. Down Pine Street towards Market, and, and and that was after that was after a couple libations, as I recall, as well, and a good and a very and, and a very that good was lunch. Light libations, <laughs> and uh, we most certainly crowbarred a cigar in there too. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I remember I remember <laughs> that I, re, I remember that fondly. But but those, but those are are, are part of the things that that makes um, um, Sinatra Sinatra. I mean, you know. You know, we're talking now about you mentioned his movies, and I would say to you, if there's one movie that I would pick that's, that that captures who I think Frank Sinatra is, it would be Man with the Golden Arm. Yeah, I would. I would agree. You know, the the struggle, the despair, all of that. Absolutely. Yeah, that that to me summarizes. Uh, I mean, I know I know personality. He's Maggio from Here to Eternity. I get that, but the man with the golden gun is the one that. Uh, but uh, but, from, but I guess my favorite role is still from him is still the Manchurian Candidate. That's probably my favorite role of his. Yeah, I, I would narrow it down. You know, I I, I didn't. Uh, you know, in a different way. Um, I still occasionally enjoy, we were at the Stanford Theater in Palo Alto not long ago, and we saw um, uh, On the Town, mm-hmm. and I still like some of those uh, those early kind of almost, you know, almost cheesy now, the some of the, the musical numbers, because they're, if you're in the mood and it's fun and... Uh, 
you know, it's nice to reminisce in that way. But for the really meaningful roles, yeah, I'd agree. I think th- those two, the man with the golden arm, Manchurian candidate, I think really brought out his best as far as acting goes, for sure. Uh, I mean, yeah, some of the other stuff, like, uh, I don't know, like uh, like Ocean's Eleven, I mean, that was okay, right? It was okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, or yeah. the when he did uh, the uh, the Westerns and... You know some of the later detective movies he did. What was the character he played in? Was it Brannigan? No, that's was John. Brannigan, one of the other. That, that was those are all right. Yeah. But but I, I agree. I think those roles brought out his best. Hmm. But, but but again, we are talking about someone when the medium was radio, he mastered it. When the medium was movies, he mastered it. When the medium was television, he mastered it. I mean, who else could you say that about? I mean, th- I mean, I think that's that's part of the. Sinatra legacy. Yeah, and when 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 that transition in each of those, and and those are those are really the uh, those transitional highlights. Um, man, how legions of people of great performers got left behind across the board. Right, right, right. Legions got left behind, but nope. He, he not only excelled, he at one point was the the tip of the spear. Right, absolutely. Any closing remarks you want to leave our listeners with? Oh, man, you know what? I I think probably what you and I would like to do the most and our listeners would like to hear the least would be us queuing up uh, our duet of uh, Summer (laughs) Wind or Angel Eyes, so let's spare them of that. But uh, (laughs) i got to tell you, uh, Byron, I I think – you know, for you and I, um, you know, we met at the counter at the uh, the Tattis Grill in, uh, in, in the city. And you know what? It didn't take us long to get onto the subject of, uh, of cigars or Sinatra or baseball. So it's always a pleasure to, uh, to join you, uh, especially over somebody that, uh, that, uh, that makes up so much of our fabric. Well, Johnny Costa, I want to thank you for coming back. And we always have you annually for baseball, but I want to do a Sinatra show, and I couldn't think of anyone else I'd rather do the Sinatra show with than my and good friend. And I would friend. be personally offended if you did <laughs> not like <my> <laughs> uh, No, but my good friend, Johnny Costa, thank you again, my friend, for joining me today on hey, the Public Hey, thanks for having me. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, my friend. Take care. Right. Bye. I want to thank my good friend, Johnny Costa, for joining me on the Public Morality. Stay tuned for my closing remarks. But here's Frank Sinatra singing these foolish things. A cigarette that bears a lipstick traces an airline ticket to romantic places and still my heart has wings these foolish things remind me of you a tinkling piano In the next apartment 
Those stumbling words that told you what my heart meant A fairground's painted swing These foolish things remind me of you You came, you saw, you... Today's closing remarks will be provided by Mr. Sinatra himself. Here's Frank Sinatra from a 1966 live album with the Count Basie Band, arranged by Quincy Jones in his version of Angel Eyes. You're a delightful audience, ladies and gentlemen. I thank you. And I hope this doesn't come as a severe shock, but I'm through. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's boozing time. One more. One more what? I'm going to the bar. <laughs> I'll be saying that to the, the waiter in a minute. One more, please. Hey, drink up, all you people. Order anything you see. And have fun, you happy people. The drink and the laughs on me. I try to think that love's not around. Still it's uncomfortably near My poor old heart It ain't gaining any ground Because my angel eyes Ain't here Angel eyes the old devil sent They glow unbearably bright In need I say That my love's misspent Misspent with angel eyes Go ahead and drink up, all of you people. Order anything you see. Have lots of fun, you happy people. The drink and the laughs on me. Pardon me, but I gotta run. The facts uncommonly clear. I gotta find who's now the number one and why my angel eyes, she ain't here. Excuse me while I...
disappear. The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at Byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, at publicmorality.org. Our archive broadcasts are located at our website, which is publicmorality.com. You can also subscribe to The Public Morality on iTunes. The Public Morality is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at The Public Morality, I'm Byron Williams. Uh. Thank you.